Hey, it's Book Circle Online. We're here today with Stephen Raines, the poet, so stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hello, hello. Welcome to Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Jeffrey Masters, and we're here today with Stephen Raines, the poet and currently the city poet of West Hollywood here in Los Angeles. Yes, thank you for having me. Of course. Welcome. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm that you have for poetry. Thank you. I hope it sounds genuine. <laughs> it is. No, I embrace anyone who um, is enthusiastic about poetry. Good. Yeah. And, and it is genuine, so that's good. <laughs> you know, I've read uh, many of your poems, maybe all of them that I could find over the last couple weeks. There seems to be no subject or topic that you uh, have not written about. Do you think that's the case? I'm interested in saying the unsaid. So okay. I would imagine that it might feel that way. I think Sylvia Plath has a line that she never used um, the word toothbrush in a poem, and I don't think I have either. But um, yeah, I am interested in a full range of experience. I don't think my poetry is very specific to one experience that I just keep rewriting. Oh, I, I'm surprised you say that because I would, I was thinking like one experience meaning your own. Oh. You, but um, <laughs> you were saying though like one experience as in like a moment of a life. I'm thinking, saying like a complete life. That's what I think. I, I, I myself try not to like read too much and do someone's poetry for like personal experience, but it's billed as autobiographical poems. Yeah, so this, this collection you can do that. And that's what I wanted. I felt as if, um, you know, I teach a lot of writing workshops, and one thing I say continually is that the truth is stranger and more interesting than fiction. And I think that um, I wanted readers to, I, I didn't want to hide behind like the terms of the speaker of the poem or anything like that. I wanted people to know that when reading the collection, they were getting a sense of my life and who I was. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that the Stephen that these poems like depicted and formed is how similar to you is that person? It was very similar to me when they came out. Um, okay. Although, you know, that things change. And from when someone writes a poem to when it gets published in a collection, there's a long span of time that yeah. happens. So um, it is very accurate to my life experience, but probably not accurate to who I am today. Oh, okay. Because this, when this was published, or like six years ago? Five yeah, years ago? Okay. But so, like, in the poems themselves, so how much of details are you, like, twisting and stretching to serve the actual poem? Like, for... Um, just, like, are you changing details because it would, like, make more sense in the poem? I, I, that has to happen a couple of times, right? Um, a few times it does. Yeah, actually. Um, one thing I did is I didn't change names in this collection. Oh. And, uh, which could be potentially problematic, but no <laughs> one's complained so far. Um... I, I didn't do that because it was something about, you know, like there's a poem, Tom, and um, that, you know, I think of Tom and to call it Carl or Philip or something would feel a little different. Um, so there's very little changing, actually, in the poems. Oh, really? Of, of details. Oh, I just kind of think about the quote, uh, creative wrong memory, like, is art. And so sometimes... Um, and like Mary Oliver, she has a poem about like the grasshopper eating sugar from her hand. And I was reading an interview with her that said that the piece of sugar was actually a like Portuguese cake from a 90-year-old woman neighbor. And while that's a beautiful detail, it's no part of the poem just because it didn't make sense within mm -hmm. the grasshopper poem. And so uh, I, think, I think of like details being like eliminated and cut to just serve the poem as opposed to the life experience. 
Yeah, that does work. And and actually, though, the grasshopper was attracted to the sugar and the cake, so I still feel like that's kind of okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe I'm not a stickler. Now that you said that, like, maybe I'm not a stickler for details. And, yeah. But I've, I've yet to have anyone in my life complain or no, totally. accuse it of being false. I mean, I feel like I'm, like, pressuring you for, like, an answer that you've given, so it's okay if it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you name it Inheritance or was it the publisher? Oh, I named it Inheritance. Okay. I was interested in this collection was about what we inherit, like, what, what we're bequeathed, like, what we're given. Um and for me, it was what I've been given by my family of origin, from uh, my community, what I've been given to, it, as well as our greater culture. Yeah. And the collection is divided into three sections, and each section is divided by text I took from a will, a last will and testament. So the, the final section is called Residue and Remainder, and it's about um, the after effects of you know, some of the experiences I had. Oh, interesting. So... It's also to me so much about how your parents kind of messed you up in subtle and blatant ways. And yeah. that is something that you also inherited. Yeah, correct. No, this isn't, um, it's not necessarily um, a joyful inheritance, but it is something that I've been given. And so what does one do with those experiences? And I think that's what I'm kind of going over the in the book, it's not necessarily like a victim narrative as much as it's about just being really specific about those experiences and what happened and processing it and what becomes of it. Yeah. I was interested in that. Now, was that a challenge to pick one word that summed up all of these poems or did you kind of go into it with inheritance in mind? Well, my first collection uh, was published when I was 25 and it has the title, Your Dead Body is My Welcome Mad. <laughs> that sounds like a Heather's quote. <laughs> It's actually the color purple. Um, oh, really? Alice Walker, close to others. Okay, no. it's a <laughs> close neighbor. <laughs> yeah, and so I learned a lot from that, having that title. One, it's such a, like, a punk kind of title that yeah. one at 25 would select. And I really wanted the next title to be really simple, and so that's how I landed on Inheritance. Oh, that's so funny. How, how many years of poets, poems is this? Like when you were putting the collection together? It's about, I think, eight or nine years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm actually a very slow poet in terms of producing. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I um, Not everything I write I feel like is worthy of being put into a collection. I also like collections to have a tight focus. Yeah. And that's what Inheritance has. So there aren't a lot of love poems in Inheritance. It's, it's not about, you know... Um, there are a lot of experiences that aren't represented in the in the book. Okay, so looking over eight or nine years of poems, were you impressed by them? Impressed? In what way? Like, that's so much time away from a lot of the poems I'm imagining. So looking back on poems that you've written over that course, did you think they were good? Like, I, did you ever read something and say, like, wow, I was really great five years ago. Like, I nailed this. I think... Sometimes, yeah. I, I think that about getting specific and having that experience, I think also, you know, I encounter myself on the page just like a reader would. And I'm just like, oh, this is my life. Like, these are my experiences. And, you know, that first collection, um, I remember taking it to a publisher and the feedback was, you know, write a book when you're 40 and you have real life experiences, <laughs> which was so dismissive of the the full life I had at that point in time. And, you know, my life has always been really full and robust and a lot of things going on. And it's great to have this book to kind of 
put them together in a narrative. Yeah, totally. Do you have a relationship with your parents today? Yes. What do they think of your poems? Oh, um, that's a good question, but I've never asked. Oh, really? I'd, I wrote... So, you know, it, I think what you're referencing is I wrote about some of the um, abuses I faced at the um, hands of my parents and how incredibly unsupportive they yeah. are. And, you know, what is that experience like for a parent to read, you know, their yeah. child? I mean, you write that like, they deprived you of unconditional love. And true yeah. or not, that's hard to believe. And that's hard to read, you know, whether or not they believe it. Yeah. It's still hard. Yet that was my reality, and I'm not going to act like it wasn't. And, and so that's what I... It's not my job to emotionally take care of people, even my parents. And I think that, you know, I, I trust the page. There are things I'm going to confess to the page that I won't confess to or talk about with other people. And so it's where safety is, where I'm expressing myself and I'm not thinking about someone else's response. Oh, see, I'm from the South, so we learned that <laughs> our life is only based on the response. <laughs> So everything's perfect, I promise. <laughs> I guess yeah. I'm specifically, specifically thinking of after the ball game. Mm-hmm. You know, you've come home, you're in the bathroom, you're you're most vulnerable, like physically and mentally, and your mom just like lays into you. And I believe one of the last lines of the poem is, and we never talked about it again. And yet here it is, and I'm reading about it in 2016. Yeah. So, but she, uh, you never discussed your poetry like that. No, I didn't. And that that was a horrific moment of my childhood of my mother telling me how effeminate I was on the ball field and suggesting that uh, we could go to the doctor and he can make you a girl, which um, was such a, you know, that wasn't like the support of embracing trans, you know, experience. Uh, And hmm, how do I feel about that today or how does she feel about her actions today? I'm sure it's embarrassing. I also think that it was probably really hard for my parents, you know, being in the Midwest and having a queer son. And what do you do with him? Like, what do you do with this effeminate son? And her solution was to stifle him as much as she could. That's not actually the best choice. Um, Uh, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. But it's what she chose to do. And I think, too, about the moments that are so massive and memorable in our lives as kids parents they don't like remember that they they don't remember it like this um, it was a scarring moment and i one would wonder if she's thinking about life if it would even come up like as a blip probably not and probably because it's painful for her too to look back and think about how awful she was to this sensitive child i think there's also something about um you know i start off the the book the collection with a pull quote from robin posen and she says i wouldn't change the me I am today for a different childhood or a different mother. And I purposely chose that quote. Uh, I, I feel like it's true. I saw that. And you have the quote about the father as well. Yeah, which is Anne Sexton. It doesn't matter who my father was. It remembers who I remember he was. Yeah. How interesting. And, and just too, I, I like that you wrote about your grandfather. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, look, we did have like positive male role models. Um, yeah. But in while... I hope it wasn't offensive when I said, like, how your parents messed you up. Like, my, like, summation of these poems, by the way. Oh, um, no, I, no, I wasn't offended. I think that uh, they, were I, not, I, they were not skilled parents okay. in the world. I mean, that is clear, and it's very clear to readers. At the same time, my parents are great people in the world today, and so that's why I have a relationship with them. Oh, I see. And I made a conscious choice of... Um, I guess this isn't about the book, but I'm just talking about, no, like, please. the experience. <laughs> is that... Um, 
you know, so what am I going to do in my adult life? Keep resenting my parents for not uh, being the kind of parents I wanted them to be. Waiting for the apology you'll never get. Yeah. And and I said the way your parents mess you up in subtle and blatant ways, but I meant the collective you, like all Mm -hmm. of our parents do in ways that they can't calculate at the time. Even Mm -hmm. I, I, I even have like friends who like, I love their parents. They're wonderful people to me. And yet I've heard the stories from childhood and it's like, oh yeah, that's a different person. And I'll never meet that person, thankfully. Yeah. But I think that's common. Maybe not to this extent, but I like that, for me, the comparison of complicated relationships with your parents reached out to all relationships in your life. Not that you're some messed up creature, just all relationships are complicated. Yeah, and and to hold those complicated feelings, right? That's yeah. what I mean, that's what to do, as opposed to just someone isn't all good or all bad, and so what did they... Do I mean we, we can you know when talking about my mother and that horrible experience, um, she also drove me to writing workshops when I was a young child. So yeah, these are ways in which they were incredibly supportive. And so, what narrative am I going to be focusing yeah. on? And it's definitely not a, a victim book. You um, you also like paint yourself in a very real light. I love the poem about you had a crush on a married man. And many years later, you ultimately slept with him, and you found him so unappealing because at that moment he was unfaithful. Yeah, and that's unfaithful, but it was your doing. Oh, yeah. of course, yeah. <laughs> and no, I mean, no, I don't think that you were delusional <laughs> about the experience, but just reading it, it was interesting how aware you were of that. Oh yeah, um, no, and and that's what I want to bring to the poetry as well. Um, the collection's been described as plain spoken, and at first I, I was a little offended by that. But then I realized, no, actually, it is. Yeah. And um, it's my kind of using this, you know, form of poetry, this economy of language, and distilling an experience and being as honest as I possibly can. Um, and I think that comes through in the smaller ones too. Like these four lines are enough. I got it. Um, speaking Thanks. of plain spoken. Do words like that and other words on the back are like witty and tender, um, someone said sexy poems. Do these words influence you when you sit down to write a new poem? Like, oh, it's gotta be sexy, it's gotta be plain spoken, gotta write it tender. Oh, um, no, I actually don't put that pressure on myself. I think oh, really? that, w- that would be intense, right? To sit yeah. down and think, um, wow, I need to write something like tender. Um, <laughs> No, no, that doesn't happen oh, for me. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I'd, I'm attracted to a line. So a line of poetry will come into my head, and I feel like it's my job to write it down as soon as possible. So I've um, you know, pulled off to the side of the road and written down lines of poetry and things like that. That's how poems usually generate. Or I read an article and something that kind of sparks something for me. Not necessarily the pressure to be a certain kind of person or a certain kind of poet. So are you saying that a line will strike you more than a experience or moment that you want to write about? It's like the physical line that catapults the poem into being? Both can happen, but okay. usually it starts with a line where, where there's an image or there's um, just a certain like turn of phrase, and I start from there. Oh, interesting. I'm just so fascinated by the poet's process, because for a novelist, it takes a big idea and quite a few stepping stones to finally commit to yes, I want to spend the next six months, 18 months, two years to write this one thing. Whereas you can write about a horrible idea and throw it away. And you haven't wasted time. <laughs> you haven't wasted an idea. You know, and you can yeah. also spend a, like a lot of time on a horrible, horrible idea you would not have spent time on before and turn it into a great poem. 
And there's like some amazing freedom in that. So I, um, just like the poet's process, it's so, you can also like sit down and finish it right there. Which is what I prefer to do too. Oh, really? I, I think that to kind of capture that moment or that feeling when I create it, yeah. I actually have a lot of fascination with painters who will start a work and then come back to it a week or two later. I feel like you're a different person two weeks later when you come back to the work. Yeah. And I would feel that way about a poem. Now, I'll edit a poem later, but if I start a poem, I try to have some resolution at some point with it. Okay. Do you? One of my favorite was the recipe box. <laughs> Do you remember what the line was in that that's kicked it off for you? Recipe box is actually about a true experience. Uh, one of my best friends, Michael, who um, actually he succumbed to AIDS um, and died now probably 14 years ago. It was an experience that happened when I was visiting him, and mm, that's sorry. that's how I wrote about that. It was so, I mean, complicated, the word of the hour. It was so sweet and dark just at the same time, and, it, and it's so weird to be charmed by a poem about a friend who's dying of AIDS. You know? Yeah. Would you mind reading that one to us? Definitely. And it's also a poem about his own loss. Um, that he's experienced yeah. um, from AIDS. So it's called Recipe Box. He had a large stack of memorial cards handed from funerals, friends and lovers stolen by AIDS. I had joked once that he might need a recipe box to categorize and alphabetize the mounting stack. He thought for a moment, that's not how recipe boxes are organized, he said. They're organized by course, great. Now I'll have to decide who's an entree, dessert, or hors d'oeuvre. And so he began to shout out the names of his friends and where he would place them. Jose, entree. Michael, hors d'oeuvre. Susan, hors d'oeuvre. Joey, entree. Jonathan, hors d'oeuvre. And for his last lover, Ramon, dessert. I love that. Thank you. It's so sweet. and. I feel like inappropriate thinking it's sweet. <laughs> no, not at all. I, um, you know, he was remind. It was his way of honoring his friends yeah. is by keeping these memorial cards. And I think that no one is a stranger to loss. No, and I think we there's so much work out there that like just punches like the grieving process. So it's okay to have this too. Yeah, um, Michael had an incredible sense of humor, and I'm so glad that his playfulness kind of comes through in that poem. Yeah. And then I was able just to document a little bit of Michael. Yeah, absolutely. I feel so ignorant, but reading that, I was like, oh, wow, this, like, the AIDS crisis, quote-unquote, wasn't that long ago. You know, it's there's movies and TV shows <clears throat> about it now. There are books. And mm -hmm. so once it's been, like, written about and, like, documented on TV, I feel like it's just the past when really it was not too long ago. No, not at all. In fact, I came out at a young age. I had a fake ID, so I was going to gay bars at 16. So I... Living the life. <laughs> exactly. You know, as one does. And so I had a lot of friends who were older, so it affected my friendship circle a little bit more than people uh, of my generation because I was friends with a generation above wow. me. So I think maybe that's why I experienced a little bit oh, more. Oh, I see. Are you able to watch and like absorb pop culture that deals with that time like a normal heart let's say yeah i am um you know with michael at one point in time i thought i was going to become his caregiver and i couldn't do it i was 24 years old and it was too emotionally strenuous for yeah. me to do it and 
I was disappointed that I couldn't do it. But that story's not unique to me. I mean, there's yeah. hundreds and thousands of people who've had that experience. Um, so that's that's uncomfortable for me to think about. You know, one of my best friends and someone I loved dearly, like as he was experiencing dementia, that I just I couldn't stand it and I couldn't be near it. I I know it's hard, but that's okay. You know, um, um it's where I was at the time. It's like yeah, what it definitely. Is. Yeah, at uh, 24 too. Mm-hmm. Wow, there. Um, wow. So I bring it to a lighter note. There's so many. <laughs> Please, mis- I'm ready. <laughs> There's so many misconceptions out, like poets. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you're at a bar, you meet somebody, and they ask what you do? You say I'm a poet. Like, what kind of reaction do you get? Well, living in LA, it's um, that's un- it's an uncommon response, yeah. right? Uh, most people are screenwriters. I don't. Um, People are amused, but they actually, there's no follow-up question to that. Really? Like, what kind of poetry do you write, or do you write in rhymes? I don't know. I went on a date once with a guy who discovered that all I did was write poetry, and he was kind of successful in Hollywood, and he says, um, don't you want anything bigger than that? <laughs> That's so offensive. <laughs> yeah, it was. And, and you know, like, how do you defend it? And I just said, like, poetry is big to me. It's the biggest thing in my life. And I, I love poetry. I have very little interest in other kinds of yeah. writing for myself. It's um, what I've crafted and spent so much time on. What, well, what is the end goal for a poet? Is it just mm-hmm. to be able to keep creating poetry or is it to have enough money and success in order to make a living off of poetry? Is it to be like a Robert Frost, like reading poems at inaugurations of the president? Yeah. Like what is the like best case scenario? Hmm. I don't. I don't know if I can speak for all poets. I can speak for myself. And I would like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's a grand thing to do. I think what I want is I want people to read the work and connect with it emotionally. I want them to be motivated to then do something. I, I want it to okay. kind of inspire people in that in that way of having them examine their own life or examine their past experiences or. Um, I want them to pick up more poetry and more poets and just kind of get engaged in that process. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's very admirable. That's that's what I would like. Um, and so when things happen, like being the poet laureate of West Hollywood, it's great because people are then, you know, more familiar with my name and my work as well as the work of other poets. You've also done a great job of getting other poets' names out there on um, like lampposts and signs around the city of West Hollywood. There's poets and small lines from their famous poems. Yeah, which is what I wanted. I wasn't interested in the Poet Laureate being about, that position being about me. I really wanted it as a platform to help promote other writers that I enjoy and admire. I love that. And you're also yeah. teaching some in that as well, right? I, I teach a lot, actually. Um, for the past 10 years, I've taught autobiographical poetry writing workshops for gay and lesbian, uh, bisexual and transgender seniors, as in senior oh, right. citizens. So uh, that that's fascinating. And I yeah. read, the, what was the collection called I read? Um, the, the White Cover My Life trees. is Poetry. My Life is Poetry. <laughs> um, how do you begin to teach poetry? Because I, I, like on, in schools, we learn about yeah. similes and metaphors. I believe, I'm imagining it's a little more beyond that. Well, first, um, just to talk about the experience of working with uh, queer seniors is that I want to create a safe space for them that they feel comfortable and safe expressing themselves and part of it too is you know we're in a culture and especially for them at when they were coming of age that continually denies or negates their experience 
and to encourage oh, especially for that age group yeah and and to encourage them that you're you know that there's worth in their life and the knowledge of their lifetime and their life experiences to express that and share that I, mean, I think that's really the starting point there oh I love that yeah is that ongoing those courses for them um I I actually thankfully get grants to do it so uh one starting up probably in August so oh, that will wow. happen again yeah. wow so wh- where do you begin in those classes like to like quote unquote like teach poetry we begin by talking about details. Okay. Um, even though life is really big and broad, okay. actually I think poetry is about the specific details and just kind of honing in on those. Okay. And um, getting them to focus on the details in their life and then write about it. Oh, very yeah. cool. Is there any part of that, like, emulating poets they love? Like, I, I think that's an important like part of, like, learning, right? Yeah, it's part of, like, the modeling experiences. Um, I share with them a poet a poem that, um, you know, achieves a certain something that um, I want them to write about. So whether it's um, about a Halloween costume, right? Having yeah. them read a poem about Halloween costumes and then having them write their own poem about a Halloween costume. Oh, I love that. Okay, so are you able to say in words what the difference is between just a good poem and a great poem? <clears throat> or is it just case-by-case basis? Um... I think it's really case by case. I think it also depends on taste, right? It's kind of what's a good meal and what's a great meal. And yet, uh, like one of my favorite poems, uh, poets is uh, like Tracy K. Johnson. Is it Johnson? I, my favorite poet. I can't remember her name. She wrote um, Life on Mars. Yeah. Um, I think it's phenomenal. And then it went to win the Pulitzer. I caught it like right before I won the Pulitzer. So of course I didn't you did. discover yes. Tracy's yeah. work. Um, but so it's kind of like a group meant uh like like shaking of head like yeah absolutely mm-hmm. like this is great so like that's a little bit beyond taste i think right it's um you know i'm currently judging a poetry contest and oh, and you? so i've read over 130 collections and oh. you know to to narrow it down to just let's say four and then select one with other judges it's a good question and how i'm assessing it is just it you know, a collection that creates a sense of awe for me, that um, I'm just really in awe of what they do when talking, you know, in the poem itself. Oh, I love the way you phrase that. How important is it for you, writing poems, to get your meaning across to, like, me, the reader, versus me reading it and getting what I can out of it? Oh, um, well, I'm interested in accessible work. I'm not interested in a poem that feels like a riddle. I feel like people should just okay. buy riddle books. That's what, you know, I, I don't really think that yeah. I'm not oh, so okay. interested in that. I'm not interested in being vague. I really want to um, be as direct as possible. Oh, I and that comes from the quote in the back, plain spoken. Yes, exactly, right? yeah. You got to embrace that. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to talk about your uh, Stephen years, seven years. What is the project name? Stephen slot like parentheses T even years. How do yes. you how do you say that? Uh, Stephen years or Stephen seven years? years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, it's endurance performance. I've never heard that word. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, definitely. It's I'd love to talk about it because I haven't in years. Um, under the mentorship of Linda Montano, who's a performance artist, um, she focused on one chakra of the body for seven years. So wow. started uh, focusing on the root chakra and then worked her way up. 
And she enjoyed the experience so much that she then worked her way down. So she actually did it for 14 years. Oh my God. And at the end of that experience, she wanted other artists to experience that. And I was one of those artists. And it was a great experience to have a year of focus for me. And Interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, my goal was to publish a chapbook at the end of each year that's focused on the writings of that chakra. Oh, yeah. And I read uh, In the Room, The Elephants, that was the first one. Yes. So how did the like expectation of this seven year project compared to like the reality of it in terms of like outcomes and effects that you felt and saw? Oh, um, it was a scary commitment. It was a really scary commitment. Like, oh, seven years of my life, like where am I going to be in seven years? Um, and it also probably it was, it was at a great time in my life where I didn't, there was no going back on being a writer. Like it was, I was fully committed to an artist's lifestyle. Oh, wow. And so that's one thing the project gave me, which I appreciated. Oh, wow. Do you yeah. do you remember the exact moment where you said, like, oh, I enjoy writing, but I'm actually good enough to do this, like, professionally? Was there ever, like, one moment? Where I felt like I was good enough for it. Versus, like, this is something I do and I enjoy, but wow, like, this I'm capable of doing. Oh. Do you feel like you're capable? <laughs> I don't. Um, <laughs> it depends on the day. It does depend on the day. I think I was so inspired at a young age of reading poets and writers who had such a profound impact on me. I knew the power of writing. Uh. And and I think I just felt like, well, my experience is, is worthy as well. And, and so oh. I think that's why I wanted my work out there, not so much of... Um, yeah, and there, there was something that writing offered me. I got to know myself on a deeper level. Yeah. I also, um, it's a way of crafting an uncomfortable experience and creating a uh, workable narrative okay. around it in a lot of in a lot of times for the first collection and the second collection. Yeah. That makes sense. You, so you said you're a, a slow poet, but is there another collection coming out soon? Like, what is next for you? Yeah, I'm currently working on a collection, and this time it's not autobiographical, which oh, is... Really? Uh, quite nice, yeah, that I'm not um, focused solely on myself. And uh, I'm currently editing that right now and then sending it to my publisher in the fall. Same publisher? Yes. Sibling, Sibling. Rivalry? Yeah. Are you able to tell us the name? No, I can't. What? I'm, not even, I'm not? not even doing that. I'm not even telling people the subject matter, actually, right now. What? I feel like it's, right now I'm in the process of it, and to talk about it feels as if it's letting the steam out and that it's really something about between me and the page. And so if I were to tell you what it was, um, so I guess this makes me kind of Southern as well, if I were to tell you what the subject matter was, I might read your response, whether it's excited oh. or kind of disappointed, and then that okay. will affect me and like my own doubt about the work or... And the, the, the finished product that you want to promote or put out, I'm sure, is something you want to be completely proud of. Not like, well, I changed that last quarter because he said this, and like I don't even like that last quarter, and they hate the last quarter. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, that I want it to be a true expression of who I am and my thoughts on the subject matter. Oh, I love that. So yeah. you are, okay, so uh, one more question about that, though. Sure. You are writing this book on a theme. 
So as opposed to this book, you had all these poems written and put into this theme, right? And yeah. you broke it down to sections. So that's kind of like the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's a structure, actually. So it's, you know, how was, how was I going to structure this collection? But you didn't write in, for inheritance. So you didn't write this in this structure. You just put it into the structure. Yes. Yeah. So the new one, you're writing into a structure. It's a different, it's a different level. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Are you happy with it? So far. Am I? I'm in the process of <laughs> editing it. So it's so, yeah, I'm actually, I'm super excited to be working on it. And okay. I think it's going to have a big impact. I Great. am just in the middle of working on it, though. You know, so it's uh, no, it's a hard worry. it's a hard place to be. Last question about that. When will it be, like, in the world? Probably this year. about a year and a half. No, oh it, my God. it takes a while for a poetry collection to be in the pipeline and sibling rivalry press is so popular yeah um and they have a lot of great poets and that their collections are lined up so there's no way to kind of like you awesome. know slide mine in there early oh my god that's so fun so where can everybody find you we gotta wrap it up um sure. is, um is your website best just like find more of your work yeah definitely stevenreigns.com it's steven with a v reigns r-e-i-g-n-s all of my notes on my computer were with a PH for Steven. And I was like, where are my notes? I can't find any notes. Um, But they're right here. I got it. Um, This has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. (laughs) Of course. Thank you. All right, guys. We will see you next time. I'm Jeffrey Masters. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMasters1. You can find all of our content for Book Circle Online on Twitter, iTunes, and of course, BookCircleOnline.com. Thanks. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.